0: Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Luke 21. Thank you for joining us. We are studying protology and eschatology in Genesis chapter 6 and its implications through biblical history, especially towards the end time. I'm going to start today, and we're going to draw out implications of that Genesis 6 passage about the fallen angels, the fallen sons of God. In Deuteronomy 3, Moses says, we turned up the way to Bashan, And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against us. They had war, and basically that area that they fought was in the region of Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N. And it says, for Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim, The Rephaim is a synonym, Rephaim is a synonym for the Nephilim. The Nephilim were the giants we read about that were the offspring of the sons of God, the fallen angels, and the daughters of men. And the Rephaim is basically the same as Nephilim, and Og was a remnant of those. And it talks about his bed made of iron. It was nine cubits long. Now, the cubits around a foot and a half, so you're talking about approximately a 13-foot bed. Doesn't mean he was this big, but he had a really big bed, 13 feet long, four cubits its breadth. And what was it trying to say? He was a a mutant giant left over from what had launched in Genesis chapter 6. Now, if we go to First Enoch, which was a very common, widely read document uh, at the time of Christ, uh, the Apostles' World, this was a very common religious book. It's a book I'm not. It, I don't think it belongs as scripture, but in the Ethiopian Church to this day, it's a part of their canon of scripture. Uh, also in the Qumran discoveries and the Dead Sea Scrolls, First Enoch is found. And Enoch, First Enoch tells us something that's not mentioned in Genesis 6. In 1 Enoch 6, we read that there were 200, it gives us a, name, a number, 200 of these fallen angels that rebelled against God come down to earth. And it says they descended in the days of Jared, on the summit of Mount Hermon. This is where they came down. Now, let's do a little geography lesson for the Holy Land. We're looking up north, and the largest peak in Israel is 9,232 feet above sea level, and that's Mount Hermon. It's hard to miss. And then as we're, we're looking towards Mount Hermon, uh, closer to us is a large rock plateau in a region near Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi was on the base of Mount Hermon. And this large, I think it was about 500 feet long rock plateau in Caesarea Philippi at the base of this large rock formation was a bottomless pit in the days of Christ it's since filled in with earthquakes but it was a basically a demonic pit to the false god Pan okay so genesis 6 we know that the from first Enoch that they first descended on mount Hermon We know from Deuteronomy 3 that a remnant of these guys, uh, King Og, whose bed was nine cubits long and four cubits wide, was a remnant, a leftover. He was a big giant, okay? Now, keeping that in mind, let's go to Matthew chapter 16. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, you know, a lot of times we You know where I'm going, where Peter is going to be called the rock for the church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But to really get the point of what Jesus was saying, you need the geographic reference. It's the key to the whole passage, because this is the region where all of this trouble that, again, sin moved from a garden to a worldwide spread that God had to bring an end to the basically the ancient world. It popped up again, remnants of this in the unholy land that Joshua had to lead the uh, people of Israel into. But Jesus comes to the district of Caesarea Philippi and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. When Jesus was doing this, this was a declaration of holy war. Jesus was going right into the face of these corrupt beings that had basically deceived the whole world, and Jesus was basically calling them out, saying, Peter, and Peter was just a a normal person, basically, but he is going to be gifted, graced, and protected by Jesus, and a church is going to be built upon him that even if the powers of darkness that descended upon Mount Hermon in Genesis 6 would attack it, it will not fail. In fact, if you want to read an interesting book on this, Uh, A evangelical scholar by the name of Michael Heiser, and anytime I recommend a book by an evangelical, this is a good book, but there might be a couple of uh, hiccups in there that you may not like as a Catholic, but the book is entitled Reversing Herman, and his thesis, which I agree with, is that we tend to look at the Old Testament spread of corruption strictly in Genesis 3, whereas a Jew in the first century, and obviously the early Christians were Jews, the first Christians were Jews, would have the world view of not only Genesis 3, but Genesis 6 as causing this worldwide corruption. Now, we're talking about protology, what happens in the beginning, is indicative of what will come at the end, eschatology, and the best place for seeing a similar event to what was described as bringing on the darkness in the ancient world that caused God to basically carry out capital punishment on the entire world population except for eight people. This is real serious stuff. But in the New Testament, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, a passage starting in verse 8 through verse 12, a critical passage, one of the most important passages for eschatology in the whole Bible, which doesn't happen to be in the current Catholic lectionary, I'm just kind of warning you, it's worth getting your Bible out and reading it. It speaks about before Christ will come, St. Paul says, a lawless one will be revealed. That's the Antichrist. And the coming of the lawless one will be with all power, pretended signs, and wonders. And then verse 10, with all wicked deception. And then he goes on, says, God sends upon them a strong delusion to believe what is false. Now, this could just be, you know, God says it and it happens, but there could be actually a cause of the powerful deception. To me, uh, I'm asking myself this question, what is happening to our world? And specifically, what went wrong during the 20th century? You know, a nuclear bomb went off, uh, two world wars, the bloodiest wars in human history, the spread of atheistic communism, even though the states may have fallen, the idea of worldwide Atheism is just spread like an infectious plague. Well, to answer those questions, turn to a passage we've looked at in this series, 2 Peter 2, starting in verse 4. Our first pope says, "'For God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, Tartarus,' And that's the place, uh, that was a Greek word where even in Greek mythology, these ancient giants were kept as judgments, okay, and committed them to the pits of nether gloom. And then it goes on to talk about Noah. So this is the context of Genesis 6. Well, this is a educated assumption on my point. I try to make it very clear when I'm (laughs) as clear as I can say, thus saith the Lord, and try to unfold Scripture, and I'm certainly not perfect. But looking at this a good while and asking these questions, what's the cause of the strong delusion, the worldwide deception? Well, it could just happen, but I happen to believe that eschatology is patterned after protology. And hence, this is my educated assumption. From Revelation 9, we read the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, and a key was given to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Remember that pit we just read about in 2 Peter 2? That pit is talked about in 1 Enoch, and it says, and the smoke of a great furnace arose and the air was darkened." To me, this is where the deception comes from that we read about in Second Thessalonians 2, and it's opening up. It's very interesting is that Dr. Beale's commentary on the book of Revelation, which I believe is the best in print, Might be a little cautious about going out and buying it. It's 1,200 pages. But in any case, he has seven citations from 1st Enoch about the fallen angels imprisoned in the pit when he comments on Revelation chapter 9. In other words, where does the spiritual blindness, again, leading to widespread deception and basically capturing an unbelieving humanity? To me, it explains why Pope Leo XIII and his prayer to St. Michael and his vision of the spiritual attack coming in the 20th century, why, does, why did Fatima occur when it did? Well, something was coming. And again, um, this isn't um, cast in stone, but my educated assumption on this, it's Revelation 9. The pits opened and will again cause to happen in the world what happened in that world. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The second coming will resemble the days of Noah. And the worldwide deception, the corruption, if you read First Enoch, I gave you a reference to the best uh, edition of that. All types of things, arts of seduction, from the making of weapons, encouraging violence on the earth. Was This was what was going on. Mankind had so corrupted his way that God was uh, to the point saying, this has to come to an end. And notice that the offspring were all these giants, uh obvious some type of genetic manipulation was going on. Not all of it great when you end up with six fingers and six toes, but that's also what's going on, isn't it, with transhumanism and genetic engineering in our day. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 222 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.